Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Matthew Wetchler. Matthew is the CEO and co-founder of Plume, a company providing world-class healthcare and equitable health experiences for the trans community. And Matthew's a true renaissance man. He's a Stanford-trained physician, former elite athlete and accomplished artist and academic. Wow, this guy is incredible. We're lucky to have him in the Colorado Tech community. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's good to be here. I really appreciate that you all taking the time as well. Would love to hear your journey from doctor to successful founder and entrepreneur of a health tech company in Colorado. Start wherever you want, but I'm sure it's a great story. Yeah, absolutely. So Jerick and I met in our first year of medical school nearly 15 years ago, both doctors by training. Back then, we shared a recognition that the healthcare system wasn't serving its key stakeholders, patients or clinicians as well as it could. And so we both went our respective journeys. For Jerrica, she always saw medicine as a vehicle for social justice and went into full spectrum primary care, found a passion for working with the trans community, doing that for nearly the last decade of her professional clinical life. And for myself, you know, I'm a philosophy and art major as a background. So chronic big picture thinker. And what I saw is how systems were developed and how money flowed through those systems actually shaped quite meaningfully how care was delivered at the point of access. So I ended up doing a master's in public health, sort of transgressed the boundaries and went over to the business school as well to uh, get a few classes to sort of shape my own degree and Ended up winning a pitch competition for an entrepreneurial class I was in. Turned down some pre-seed funding for an idea, but took with me a real passion for the entrepreneurial experience and ended up going to Stanford for residency to be in the milieu of Silicon Valley. We'll call it, I created a side hustle. I think it's probably the best way to put it. Working with a lot of digital health startups up in the Valley. What I saw is there was a lot of non-clinical, but highly technically capable co-founders that wanted to disrupt the healthcare system, which I think is great. We need that energy and it needs to be infused with some practical on the ground experience of what daily life is like for clinicians. So I was a liaison between this very Byzantine and labyrinth-like world of the clinical environment to these startup founders. And that's, that's sort of how I cut my teeth in SF. Coming out of that, and the first wave of direct-to-consumer healthcare was happening. That was NERC's, HIMSS, Roe, the Pill Club. And what we saw is that the constellation of a, a clinical need that would make a successful DTC business was actually represented quite well in some of the aspects of gender-affirming care, namely gender-affirming hormone therapy. Jarek had been doing this work for quite a while. We've been best friends for a long time and saw the, the great need and that she had been using inadequate platforms, you know, just communicating by telephone to deliver some of this care remotely, mostly because a lot of her patients 
you know, some were driving up to six hours just to see her. I mean, don't get me wrong, she's a phenomenal clinician, but it speaks to the issues of access, especially in suburban and rural areas. You know, we actually started Plume with our own money, just fully bootstrapped, very scrappy, actually taped a sign to a borrowed clinic door in Colorado Springs three years ago. I saw our first 10 patients that way, ended up getting a pilot spun up. Within three months, took that data back to the Valley, closed an initial round with General Catalyst, and then, you know, nine months later, closed another Series A with Kraft and Town Hall Ventures, run by Andy Slava, who's a prior CMS director of Medicaid and Medicare for the Obama administration. So huge photo confidence from them. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. And now here we are um, nearly three years later. And some of the exciting milestones is we care for over 10,000 patients and have seen over 17,000 patients now in 41 states. And it makes us twice as large as any other single healthcare provider for the trans community in the U.S. You know, having that many patients under one roof, especially of this very underserved population, is a privilege and also, I think, a real opportunity. For us, our vision is to transform healthcare for every trans life. We want to do that by providing direct service to many and hopefully and someday most of trans people in the U.S., but also to shape policy and to shape clinical guidelines by sharing our experience as one of the largest providers of this type of healthcare in the U.S. Us. Matthew, we'd love to understand the, the journey also to Colorado for your company. Headquartered here, and I understand you also recently just moved here as well. Why Colorado and what are you excited about what's going on in the tech scene here? Uh, Jerica came to Colorado for medical training. She has family here and is anchored here and has obviously loves the Denver area. I was Bay Area when we started the company and I am a bit more flexible. And so I decided to come out here to Denver. You know, what we found with the startup scene is it's really in a I think a very special place in that it is really vibrant and continually growing. And also at the same time has a bit of intimacy to it where you can meet people quickly. There's a a lot of excitement about collaborating, about connecting, about networking, of helping each other, of making Denver a really strong scene. Obviously, Denver Startup Week is now one of the more meaningful startup events in the country. Being a contributor and a participant of an actively growing scene is, I think, really exciting and Uh, you kind of get the best of all worlds in that you're able to quickly network and meet people and there's an openness and also there's a lot going on here. And so the people that you meet can be extremely helpful. I mean, some really successful companies are coming out of Denver and I think you're starting to see a consolidation, especially around health tech, several health tech companies coming out of here. A lot of, you know, the Hint Summit, Hint is a very well-known direct primary care payment platform. They just did their annual summit in Denver. You know, another example of how it's becoming a, a hotspot for the health tech community. Matthew, what's a company aside from Plume in that community that you're excited about right now? Everside is is a really interesting company. Uh, you know, they're part of the Endeavor Network. We've been talking with the Endeavor Network for quite a while. They started a novel primary care model that's now scaled throughout the U.S., I've had the good fortune of getting some face-to-face time with a founder who's extremely generous with his time, his experiences, and especially as one tries to scale health services specifically, it comes with its own unique set of challenges. And so he's been amazingly supportive. So I'm excited to see that company thrive and grow. 
Matthew, I'd love to, to jump into why we're here to hear about your biggest lesson. And I'm sure over your experience, both as a doctor and clinician and now running a company, you've had a lot of different lessons that you've learned, but we'd love to hear what your biggest lesson is, how you learned it and how you apply it today. No, I was thinking about this and actually one of the things that I learned, so I'm an emergency physician by training and I've run, you know, one of them parts of your job is running a lot of traumas, you know, a lot of heart attacks, car accidents come in. And sometimes you have to do something called coding a patient. So that's when they're in a life-threatening situation, you have to apply intensive care tactics. And that is a very emotionally charged experience. And your thoughts are running very quickly. It can be quite overwhelming from a sensory perspective. You have a multidisciplinary team that has to work in concert nearly flawlessly to execute on literally life and death interventions in a coordinated and coherent manner. So it takes a while to get to a place where you can do that effectively. I come from a background of athletics and actually some extreme sports. I used to be a big mountain skier. And so doing a lot of risk assessment and then trying to function at a high level and sort of risk-laden environments. And the one thing that I've learned is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And this desire, what's most important in these high intensity environments is to make deliberate actions once, you know, it doesn't do anybody good to shout out a bunch of orders or directions to a group of people that then need to kind of figure it out on the fly with their own. And so being able to kind of control the flow of information and keep the team moving at a certain cadence and not trying to do too much too quickly. And especially when things get intense, what feels like normal pace is actually too much. And so you have to go in almost slow motion to get the right amount of information going and keep the team moving quickly and smoothly. So taking that framework and applying it to startup life, it can obviously be very intense. There's lots of ups and downs with the startup experience and the founder experience. And I think any good founder that I've talked to that's years beyond where I am, will pretty much always say the same phrase is like, I can't tell you how to do it. I can just tell you how not to do it. Like I'll just I'll just show you all my scars and you just, you know, do your best to avoid those lessons. This idea of being smooth as a leader and making sure that you're leading with a steady hand. Tactically what that comes down to is trying your best not to be overly reactionary at any one time. It doesn't do you any favors to jerk the company around, especially once you have, you know, more than 10 people around the table. I think we're at about 140 people now and you have to give up some of that agility to get alignment. You know, one of the mantras I took from some of my executive coaching is lead with a steady hand. And with that, try to really consolidate the touch points where we establish new direction in the organization or focusing people on priorities. As far as a tactic that I found extremely effective, just really on the ground, like what do you do when you wake up in the morning and your brain is churning and there's a thousand things that (laughs) feel like they're on fire, which is basically a Tuesday in any startup, is um, I'll think through two two or three quarters ahead and say, well, what do, what do we need to have done by then? You know, what is like the big building blocks here? With that, when you look past the next two weeks or month or whatever current seemingly <laughs> existential issue you have in the moment, it, it gets quite clear that there's maybe three big things, like three big boulders and locking into that and creating your smooth path 
and thinking through how you want to communicate that to the team over time and gradually build the organization in that direction can be very anchoring and it can smooth things out quite a bit. <laughs> that is a thing that I keep coming back to. And it's, I love to say that I do it perfectly all the time. It's an ongoing journey, but what I will do is I'll sit down with my journal in the morning and I'll think through two to three quarters. What are the big building blocks that need to get done? Bring it back to this month, this week, and then think through, okay, like how do we get there smoothly? And how do we roll this out to the team in a, in a way that's smooth and coherent? So it sounds like you put a lot of thought into the communication around what those sort of big boulders are. How specifically do you do communication at Plume and, and keep the whole team aligned? I found that in a, especially in a remote environment, you need to have omni-channel communication. It needs to come through different formats. And so early on, I thought, okay, we'll have our bi-weekly all hands and we'll do an announcement there, or we can just post something on Slack or send a company-wide email and that will orient. You need to be reinforcing things from multiple angles. And I think one of the things that was shared with me is if you've said something to the point that it just feels absolutely boring and that means that you're just starting to communicate it enough that it's like becoming a part of the ethos of the organization. You know, some examples of assets that we use to communicate or ceremonies, every quarter I put out basically a two-page strategy document that is sort of lessons learned, observations in our external and internal environment, and then strategic direction for the quarter. I have all of my executives write a one-pager for their own strategies, and it's consolidated into a, a cumulative document. It's called our strategy primer that gets shipped to the entire company. So everybody can see it. It's what we use as the precursor to our OKR ceremony that we do on a quarterly basis. That exists as a artifact that everybody can align around. And then complementing that with biweekly ceremonies with the all hands, trying to pull back, uh, especially at a, a certain size, I'd imagine around 40 to 50 people. What's clear is that not, not everybody has the big picture view anymore. It's very hard. And so people start getting into their sort of areas of expertise or focus. And as a founder, it can be easy to forget that you have a very unique perspective that's extremely valuable to everybody in the company. And it seems intuitive to you because you live it every day. But for those that are working on one part of this like large project, it's easy, it's easy to lose that context. And so using those company all hands, we've gotten great feedback that providing that 30,000 foot view, you know, what are we seeing? What direction are we going? Why are we going in that direction? And just kind of reiterating and keeping people connected to that. I think can help create that sense of, of smoothness. One thing we found, I found when we went from sort of, you know, call it 75, 100 to sort of north of 100 people at my company, where you started getting sort of managers of managers and, and the managers that were right uh, above the ICs were a little more removed from the rest of the executive team. Mm -hmm. We had to do a really good job of communicating to those managers, because a lot of the questions actually get asked and answered in those I see to manager interactions. Is there anything you're doing specifically with that line of managers? Because it sounds like you're now over that hundred and probably have lots of groups with managers and managers now. Yeah, we're just about getting there. We have a people managers meeting that was bi-weekly and now we do it monthly. And the idea there is 
providing a sense of community and also a moderate size group setting where there's enough intimacy that there can be conversation, that it's not a didactic one-to-many communication event, that people can ask questions. When we're rolling out communication, we'll usually start with that people managers group and make sure that they get some of that communication first. They feel like they understand and align what's being communicated and then questions and talking points that we would expect from ICs. And so we were doing it every two weeks. I'd say now that the company is a little bit bigger, we've gone to monthly. And it's also been, as we continue to grow as an organization, it's also a cohort where you can start to do management training as well. We want to support and grow our managers as much as possible. And so it's been a, a useful venue for that as well. Matthew, do you think, you know, with regard to training your managers or evaluating your managers, is this concept of keeping a steady hand something that you guys reinforce or evaluate them on? No, that's a that's a bit of a personal mantra for me. Uh, and, you know, what I try to hold to, you know, day to day. Our current managers, what we've seen is great, kind, and also transparent performance uh, feedback can be very helpful and meaningful to an organization. So that's part of our growth right now. It's an interesting, um, I think a really important lesson and mantra for everybody, particularly in times like these where, I mean, startups are always crazy, but times like these where the market is is a roller coaster and um, you, know, you see companies having to lay off folks in a way they didn't have to last year and really making sure as a founder, especially if you're going to do something like that, you make those cuts one time, you make it decisively, you keep an even keel throughout that and project confidence to the remaining folks at your company. I think that's an incredibly important lesson now more than ever, Matthew. So really thanks for thanks for that. Where can our listeners track what you're up to with Plume? You can always take a look at our website, www.getplume.co. That's where we have a lot of blogs. We put press on there as well. So that's a great place to check us out. We're also going to have some press coming up in local Colorado news. So just check your local newspapers. should see some cool stuff coming out as well. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us. Really important mission. You all are up to at Plume and, and look forward to continuing to see the success.